0: Welcome back to There Will Be Movies, Uh, this is volume 2 of our podcast in which we cover our favourite movies in between 2010 and 2019, 25 of them to be exact. I am, as always, joined by Matthew Waters, who once more is journeying into the unknown as we cover (laughs) Frozen (laughs) 2. Excuse me? (laughs) It's the name of the song, that's a joke, it's bad. Uh, okay. (laughs) No, we're not. We're covering <laughs> If feels Street Could Talk. Barry Jenkins' follow-up to his Oscar-winner, Moonlight, uh, released an adaptation of James Baldwin's If Beale Street Could Talk. Matthew, yes. top-line thoughts. What did you think of this incredibly hazy, romantic movie uh, set against the backdrop of racial violence and sexual assault? Um, It is
1: like it is a heck of an acting showcase. I It is a strong piece of directing. Like I would say like the story is is nothing to write home about, which might make you panic, I'm gonna hate it because I've I've said like, you know, I prefer. i
0: I would I would agree. Like if this is a very basic story. The most interesting about it is probably the way it's structured in terms of just these like fragmentary memories of what it does. But it's the same way that Moonlight isn't particularly a strong narrative movie it is so much more a showcase for what barry jenkins looks like as a director yeah. and all the actors in it
1: yeah yeah because like i you know you could distill this story down to like a sentence like and and if you arranged it chronologically it's probably a lot less interesting but to see it as a as a piece of work assembled in the way that it is is good and like you know i i am like ex- I think Kiki Lane is an excellent narrator. I'm always thrilled to see Regina King and Brian Tyree Henry in anything. I am excited to see Tiana Paris in One Division. Uh, <laughs> I am excited to see Stephen James in anything. Um, I thought he was the. I know Regina gets the, you know, the win, but like I thought he was the standout. Like for me personally,
0: again, I think this movie is packed to the gills in supporting mm. performances, including like a quadruple of like four of the most bizarre cameos from, like, recognisable faces.
1: <laughs> what are you trying to say about Dave Franco? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: just saying, when Dave Franco shows up in this movie, you go a little bit like, what are you doing here?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, just to wistfully drift through, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it, for sure. Um, it's not the kind of thing that, like, I would passionately rave about as a movie in the way that, you know, we, Handmaiden was a, was a revelation for me. I really enjoyed Call Me By Your Name. I, I, I'm I, not trying to say, like, you know, I think this is a three-star movie or anything like that. It's just, it's that kind of thing where it's like, you know, I'd give it, like, a four out of five, but, like, I would rave about the performances and, and I would I would rave about... I mean, it's difficult to praise the writing when I haven't read the book, so I don't know what is being lifted verbatim and what it, is... It's
0: pretty much verbatim. Yeah. There, is, there is very little. Like, when we do an adaptation, like, I think... In these last five episodes of the mini series, we're going to be covering two very different kinds of adaptation, <laughs> but both of them, yeah. um, both of them showcase the strengths of the like, writer and director who are wielding them. But yeah. one, like this, is a to the T, basically lifting this story, putting it onto the screen, but using Barry Jenkins' particular cinematic showcase to yeah. like bring it to life. Where is
1: is the book told um, chronologically?
0: No, it's not. Okay. It's It's basically, like, basically, this is beat for beat structured yeah. in the exact same way that the James Baldwin text is. Like, okay. it does nothing in particular, revolutionary or or structurally to make this into mm. something different. The only thing is, is obviously there's this there's the intimacy and the sensualness of the mm. way that Barry Jenkins shoots everything. Yeah. Like,
1: it's so warm and and romantic, even when it's it's not. You
0: know, <laughs> and like but, like the, the shots of. The shots of Kiki Lane and Stephen James in the prison, framed mm. through the glass and stuff like that, like, I think Barry Jenkins does the best close-up shots. Just just looking at people emoting yeah. is is something that he is so incredibly good at. Yeah. And so much of this movie relies on just looking at people emoting or reacting to things that are said. Yeah. And I, I could
1: easily have seen this being adapted by somebody else into something that is much more like look how ugly the world is kind of thing. And, like, you know, that is obviously simmering in the background, like, or not even in the background, really. Like, it is right in the foreground that, like, you know, look how bad America is, look how terrible white people are. But, like, it isn't really treated that way. There's never this big, like, and here is the, like, look at the cruelty of man scene. This was really important for us to get our Oscar. Like, you know, it's just, it's just presented, like, very warmly, even when there is some ugly stuff. And, like, you know, critically, we we do not see the, you know, the assault that is, like, pivotal to the narrative and everything. And then, like, they don't need to tell us he didn't do it. It's just kind of like, well, of course he didn't do it kind of thing. And, like, I can see another film where, like, they they recreate the scene or something and you, you can't see the person's face or whatever. You know, like, that they, they don't feel the need to go there, that it is instead just kind of about these interpersonal personal relationships. Um, yeah,
0: like it like the movie kind of like slowly slots into place. Like it's mm-hmm. basically scene two, we find out that Fonny has gone to prison mm-hmm. and we get the full story of like what happened, which is basically Fonny was in a place that he couldn't possibly be <laughs> yeah. to have committed this crime, and yet he is he is strung up for it. Yep. And basically the entire plot is trying to get someone to recant their statement. And just slowly filling in the gaps of like what actually led to him being the person who would be yeah. put up for this crime because like you you meet Officer Bell quite early on in this movie, but it's not until very near the end that you find out like what it is that yeah. triggered the triggered his motivations to to put Fonny up for this. Just because I doubt I d I don't really want to talk about a lot of the white actors in this movie no. quite a bit later on. Ed Screen uh, <laughs> original Dario, <laughs> original Dario, uh, Francis. star of Deadpool One. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I, I, generally didn't recognize him.
1: Uh, no, I, I probably wouldn't have, but I, I had the cast list in front of me while watching. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was slowly scrolling down to like make sure I didn't hit any cameos that I wasn't like you know that were gonna like blow me away or anything, but like. Um, yeah, like he is relatively lost in this role. Like they're doing I feel they've done something to his face. Like they've tried to make him look a bit different, um, and he's got the shitty
0: mustache and Yeah. Um, it's just it's just like he feels so much more threatening than he did in Deadpool. And obviously Deadpool's yeah. a completely different movie, but like this is just one beat cop who looks it's a just, little um, bit shifty
1: you know, just the ugly, malicious, shitty little man kind of thing, as opposed to big, flashy villain that they're trying for in Deadpool um, that he wasn't really right for, but yeah. Yeah, no, like, again, I think it is an acting, like, tour de force.
0: Um,
1: I haven't seen Moonlight, but I would like to now. Um, He's got a bit of um, Spike Lee to him, I would say, for, like, some of his directing, particularly when it's, like, narration and like you see Victoria like looking to camera and like you
0: see the cop and stuff like that, that felt very Spike Lee-ish um. Yeah, I think he lacks the righteous anger of Spike Lee <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways well, and, yes. <laughs> and like he's a little bit less technically forceful Yeah. yeah than yeah. than Spike Lee can be, like this is very stately very reserved in terms of like what it's doing Yeah. Um
1: not not like throughout, just some of the shots. I was oh like, no, no oh, that's got yeah. a hint of uh, of Spike Lee about it. But yeah, I mean, obviously he is a much warmer, more romantic uh, creator than than Spike Lee, who you know, as you said, primarily just wields anger at
0: everything all the time. To yeah, but I mean, this result, th- 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 yeah, this and Moonlight are like. I mean, I rewatched Moonlight in preparation for watching this, and mm. like my story of Moonlight is I finally caught it when we were visiting Amsterdam and we're like we've missed the chance to see it so often like we need to go see it now so we go see it in this tiny <laughs> tiny Dutch cinema
1: yeah.
0: with like subtitles and like there's maybe 14 seats in the room it wasn't the ideal circumstance it still completely bowled me over Rewatching it the other night I'm like no I've underestimated this like even if it was my number two movie of 2016 I've underestimated just mm. how excellent this is so, so. Do, you,
1: do you want to speak to why this over Moonlight on the list.
0: I think partly is because the the, the slightly negative first viewing of Moonlight made me go like I fully understand the magic of this movie, but getting to see Beale Street in like my local comfy cinema with a well behaved audience (laughs) and like none of the What you just say about the Dutch people. (laughs) Nothing bad against the Dutch people. It was just like the particular or like the particular cinema we were in just kind of like sucked out a lot of the 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 joy of it all. (laughs) And, like, so Bill Street just struck me so much harder the first time I saw it, and there was just something about being fully enveloped by everything yeah. this movie's doing. Like, the first thing I want to say about Bill Street, like, off the bat, is I think this is the best score of any movie of this decade. Like, I think it's a... a, a just... It sets the tone so perfectly. It's Nicholas Brattel, who, mm. at this point, I think, was best known for... Obviously, he done Moonlight, but he's also um, Adam McKay's guy. He is, yeah. Uh, so he does like the picture and and uh, vice and stuff like that and obviously he's the composer to succession which is again one of the best theme songs of the last 10 years okay
1: but okay i'll get to it <laughs>
0: succession is so good i know
1: i know yeah i one of my first i think my very first note was hmm, the score is very good <laughs> particularly over the flashbacks uh it it seems to come forward a bit more but um yeah, like I watched the trailer before I watched it because we were trying to determine, like you know, the tone in terms of like easy afternoon viewing versus Matt, go watch this on your own kind of thing. And uh, yeah, the the soundtrack just immediately in the trailer, and then yeah, from the very first scene and in every single flashback is is
0: incredible. Yeah, and so basically that's that's the core difference. Is like Bill Street got me. Fully, the first time I saw it, whereas Moonlight yeah. didn't hold me arm's length, but it was very much like, oh, well, I think I'm the contrarian who thinks Bill Street's better than Moonlight. <laughs> now I'm like, they're both like, I think looking at my like decade list,
1: hmm.
0: both in the top twenty, both five star movies, the only director to have two movies in my top five, yeah. or no, my top five, but oh, the only director to have two five star movies in the same in the same decade. But like, there is
1: also this uh, intentional or not like underdog. Thing we've got going where we've got a couple of movies on the list that are like the less talked about of the ones the director did uh, in yeah the like annihilation
0: this widows like yeah. we, we seem to be picking like the good movies that maybe a little bit less get seen. enough
1: uh, look maybe but i mean you know it got <laughs> it won an oscar um, and got nominated for two more but it still feels like this is a movie that kind of flew under the radar
0: and no one talks about. Um... Yeah, it's a weird one because obviously 2018 Oscars you get like it's a really fucking good year it's a really fucking good year for for African American cinema as well
1: Well, except for Green Book winning.
0: Except for what wins. Yes, absolutely. But Um, in terms of what's actually up that year, what what was nominated? So I can actually have some proof to back up. (laughs) Well, you know,
1: it's looking so far, so, you know, Black Panther, whoa, what a win for for the culture. I'm actually talking about geek culture there, I realise. (laughs) <laughs> I've just appropriated. Um, speaking of appropriation, uh, Black Clansman, and then mm, Bohemian Rhapsody. But the favourite, Roma, A Star Is Born, Vice, and the winner, Green Book, for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> what happened there? And, like, best actor, right? Like, So this bothered me. Like, Stephen James doesn't get a nomination against... Rami Malek, who wins, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, Willem Dafoe, Viggo Mortensen. You're telling me all five of those are better than Stephen James in this. I disagree personally, but I realise uh, yeah, that no, it's Yeah, uh... no, I, I,
0: absolu- I absolutely disagree, because I think <laughs> Rami Malek yeah. is aggressively fine. <laughs> Christian Bale <laughs> is aggressively fine. Yeah. Bradley Cooper's great. Yeah. <laughs> like, Bradley Cooper's the best of these nominees. Uh-huh. And they did, like, I was fully ramping up the entire 2018 Oscar season going, like, well, Star is Born's gonna sweep. Like, Star is Born feels like hmm. the kind of movie that, like, this is built to, yeah. to absolutely adore. And then it, like, falls over itself and no one gives a shit and the race becomes between Roma and Green Book. Yeah.
1: Is it just the and rules it, that if, you, if you're gonna win the best picture, you, 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 know, you must be in contention for best actor as well, kind of thing? Like, um, I,
0: don't, I don't think Moonlight got any acting nominations okay. apart from oh no Mahershala and yeah Mahershala and Mary Harris both got nominations, but both of those were supporting. Like, because
1: yeah. like it's Viggo Mortensen and you know is that an Oscar nominee worthy performance in Green Book? Like, absolutely not. Yeah,
0: man, absolutely not. Yeah. Like it's I, I've not seen that Eternity's Gate, but obviously we, we love Willem Dafoe, <laughs> of course. But like, again, that it feels like such a random performance, especially when you think that you've got Stephen James here, you've yeah. got. Ryan Gosling in First Man, who is is really fucking good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like again, First Man, another movie like yeah. Oscar-winning director from 2016 comes back with a movie that's slightly less acclaimed, but still very, very good. it's and nowhere, to just, nowhere
1: to be seen at the Oscars. No,
0: seen any of this? Yeah. Like, I mean, my, so my my actual list of actor this year, I didn't have Stephen James. He was just off my list, but it was Ethan Hawke, Bradley Cooper. Yoko uh, Phoenix for *You Never Really Hear*, Lakeith Stanfield for *Sorry to Bother You*, and Ryan Gosling in mm. First Man*, with Ethan Hawke being my winner.
1: Yeah,
0: is a absolutely tremendous performance and probably the biggest snub mm. of all of these. Yeah,
1: <laughs> was you, you know, Regina King, you know, gets the gets the Oscar. Like what a run for her of a few years of just like crushing it with with leftovers, with *Watchmen*, with this. You know, we have podcasted about her quite a lot this year, um, and the streak continues. It loses Best Adapted Screenplay to *Black Landsman*, which I don't know, maybe fair in that this is just kind of transliterating it, kind of thing, like as is. And yeah, I don't don't
0: think the the strength of this is not the adaptation. If I'm if I'm making personal choices, I swap like *Roma* wins Best Picture, Uh Spike Lee wins Best Director. Uh maybe I give this Best Adapted Screenplay,
1: mm.
0: and then Original Screenplay pretty much goes to, like, one of the other three nominees yeah. that I actually like in that list.
1: And then uh, it loses Best Score to Black Panther, which, you know, a beast of a score as well, but, like, I don't know. <laughs> um...
0: That's the thing, is, like, I couldn't be sad on the night, because it's like, the Black Panther score is really good, and, and, like, you can tell how good the Black Panther score is, mm. because literally two months after that movie comes out, yeah,
1: you hear re- yeah, you hear like a, a beat of it and everyone freaks the fuck out like yeah that was that was powerful um yeah
0: like, i think i think that's what makes the black panther score winning not hurt like not hurt too bad because yeah. it is just like this is an indelible part of the culture literally 2 months after it came yeah. out and not many movie scores get to be like that like i genuinely the avengers theme took a while <laughs> to get to that point i feel like i feel that's I, just
1: the avengers elevating it though I don't think it's actually that great a piece of music. It's just sure. like, this it's scene just, is
0: so good. Like... It's just it's just quite interesting that I don't think people are walking out of the Avengers humming the Avengers no. theme song. It's just it gets repeated so often and obviously utilized very well in the successive movies, probably culminating in the portal scene. Yeah. But, but like, but, yeah, the... at the time, it's definitely not the most memorable piece of music. And now I'm just trying to think, like, what, like, is it like? Harry Potter is kind of the last time <laughs> that there was this kind of like huge dominating musical theme that everyone knows.
1: Potentially. Yeah. Um, I, Black Landsman also got nominated for best score. I was sort of humming some of the little riff, guitar riffs from that for several days afterwards. Um, a good trio of movies there. And yeah. then also Isle of Dogs and Mary Poppins, somehow. But hey, <laughs> Lin-Manuel's going <laughs> to Lin-Manuel. I don't even think that's for Lin-Manuel though, is it? Like- <laughs> no, it's for Mark Shaman. So, yeah. Oof. Um, so you talked about seeing this in your local cinema. So in terms of like how it opened in the UK, of its total, only $20 million gross. We gave it $2 million. Uh, and in its opening weekend, it only opens at number 12, making it the fourth highest new debuting movie. Uh, the top 10 that weekend. The Lego Movie 2, the second part.
0: A, a notorious bomb.
1: Uh-huh. Haven't seen it. Was enthusiastic about the first one, didn't even bother with the second.
0: Uh, Alita. I, think, I think that's the case for a lot of people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Alita Battle Angel, which some people have an enormous hard-on for.
0: Because it's a female movie done right, Matthew. It's better than Captain Marvel for that reason.
1: How to Train Your Track in the Hidden World. Green Book in its uh, second week. Glass. Mary, Queen of Scots. (laughs) I remember that. Uh, (sighs) Escape Room. Vice. Mary Poppins Returns. And all is true uh, and then debuting just ahead of uh, just ahead of Bill Streight talk is "Can You Forgive Me?" in its second week. But yeah,
0: a mixed weekend there. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a decent chunk of movies that I actually really like, and then there's also a bunch of movies that I'm just like, no, get this away from me.
1: This is... Yeah, you've got some of your some of your Oscar stuff is in there. Some of your big family stuff is in there, and then also like, of course, there must be a horror movie. Yeah,
0: yeah this this feels like a mixture of. Oscar hat holdovers, they finally break into the UK, and then also this is probably like the February half term week, so they're starting <laughs> to push out like the animated movies.
1: Yeah, because it, you know, it, it, it debuts right at the end of 2018 in America, uh, but it pushed to February in the UK, so, you know, a different slate of contenders. But yeah, I feel the actual conversation about this movie is not going to be all that long in comparison to all of the stuff around it
0: no absolutely not this is definitely more of like a maybe less than Florida Project which is also a similarly plotless movie but like like I think there was there were things to just to dive into here whereas this is basically just like god this book is really fucking good and we'll yeah. just kind of like pick up the pieces that we that yeah. we really enjoy as we go through so the movie obviously opens with a snippet of a James Baldwin text describing Beale Street and mm. like what it exactly means to the African American experience and how Everyone's on Bill Street and and stuff like that. The title is a reference to the Bill Street Blues, named after the Tennessee Bill Street. Okay,
1: yeah, they claim it to be the birthplace of rock and roll, like the legit actual one. Um, but I, I think in the opening, uh, you know, the, the 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 excerpt from the book uh, on the screen specifically says I think Louisiana,
0: but oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: Either way, I I get it. You know, it, it there is a street like this in every city in america that is you know so important to the black community and everything so your experience of james baldwin have you i've seen the man talk like uh and admired him doing so like on on racial issues like on talk shows like giving these like legendary quotes i've read none of his actual
0: writings though Um... yeah i i read bill street after this it's another case where i've got annoyingly the um the film cover, yeah. which uh, stop doing that. <laughs> I know. I, I wish
1: they not you. I mean, you know, they should. I get why they do it, but like, don't be, don't be punks. Come on.
0: So yeah, so it's it's annoying because like you go and try and find um, <laughs> the original cover to the book, but all the bookstores have like orders in the new film cover, and you're like, <laughs> I really want to read this, but I also don't want to have it be tied into the movie, even if the movie's good, yeah. which. Uh, just knowing um giovanni's room has been on my list of things to read for for god knows how long hmm. um because obviously that's uh rather than this we're obviously touching on various like racial stuff going on in america involving the the, the systemic racism against black people like giovanni's room it touches more on james baldwin's like homosexuality okay. and and stuff like that so i'm like oh, i do need to do need to read that yeah. but yeah that i mean so that's the thing is like my experience with james Baldwin is very much knowing he is a cultural behemoth in america yeah. but not actually like experience anything until i saw this movie and obviously i think this is what no one has ever really adapted his works in this kind of way hmm. So barry jenkins picking this to be his like next project after he does moonlight is just like him kind of going like right let's Finally, do this man justice in terms of like these adaptations. Yeah, and of course, logically, the next follow-up he's got to that is as uh, is a Lion King movie,
1: <laughs> untitled Lion King prequel. Mm. A choice was made.
0: I, d- uh, I just don't understand. I don't either. Like, I guess he wants that a- Disney money. <laughs> he's going to get a good paycheck. He obviously. Is. And he spent the last year apparently shooting Underground Railroad, which is another very, very good book. Mm. Um, and the, the teaser trailer they dropped the day they were filming looked exactly like the style of Barry Jenkins. So I'm like, okay, I'm very excited to see what he does mm. with this. Um,
1: you know, maybe he's just looking to bankroll some more personal projects in the future. Like, maybe he's adopting the Clooney one for me, one
0: for them kind of thing. I mean, that's the thing. I think he's writing this Lion King movie too, but the mm. idea of it being a prequel, it's like, oh, so we don't even get Barry Jenkins working with. Donald Glover and Beyonce if it's a prequel like know. who knows man <laughs> I mean we'll see like Lion, King's, Lion King the remake is bad but an original movie using that style could potentially be good Sure, I don't know he's a more interesting visual director than Jon Favreau yeah, so. how
1: much can you do with CGI Lions <laughs> <It's> like <sighs> ugh
0: Oh, maybe yeah. they make them more stylized and they can actually emote, and they then you won't. just go, like, why is this not 2D?
1: They are so attached to that exact photo-real style that they will not let anyone deviate from that until one of these bombs. like, right? And unfortunately, none of them do, do they? They all make a billion
0: uh, dollars. Well, that's the thing is, these ones don't, but then okay. Dumbo bombs, Mulan okay. is sort of a bomb.
1: Yeah, well, Mulan's got, you know... Different circumstances. The ones
0: that change the original text are the ones that don't do very well. Like Dumbo, part adapts like the adaptation of Dumbo stops about thirty minutes in, and then it's its own brand new thing that isn't in the in the original movie whatsoever.
1: Okay. Well, welcome back to our Dumbo podcast.
0: (laughs) A movie which I saw in cinemas. Oh God. I see everything. This year, I've seen nothing from twenty twenty. But is a different question. So yeah, so this movie opens with the James Baldwin text uh, and then we just get Tish and Fonny just kind of like lovingly walking around Manhattan.
1: Mm. But, yeah, just about six times I have to note there's so much warmth and chemistry between them. Like, the scene, I mean, I don't want to like jump ahead, but like the the flashback to like them falling in love is is gorgeous. Um, Yes. Just talking about how like they grew up around each other. So like, They never even considered each other's bodies kind of thing. And then finally realising he's the most beautiful person I'd seen in my life. Like, that's a hell of a line. He is a beautiful man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I just like, you know, the comment about... Do you want to just walk around a little with me until you decide what you want to do? And it's like, that feels so slice of life where sometimes... You, you know, you don't have plans, but you're just enjoying being with each other, kind of thing. Yeah, like um, I,
0: I love all of these flashbacks. Cause obviously, this is yeah. when the score comes in the strongest, yeah, and when yeah. the lighting almost changes, and mm-hmm. when they go to that little—it's an Italian restaurant or just like a random restaurant—and they, yeah, Diego Luna's little. Uh... Pad. <laughs> yeah, Diego, Diego Luna comes out and you're just like, oh my god, Diego Luna's in this, like, just completely randomly. I know, and, and it's
1: not even, like, Pedro Pascal like appearing, like, right at the end for, like, a one-scene cameo. It's like, Diego Luna's in this twice and, it, like, why is he in this? <laughs> I cannot
0: gauge Diego Luna's star power whatsoever. <laughs> uh. I mean, yeah, like, he is, because obviously this is a couple years after Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that, like, they... No, no I <sighs> no clue whatsoever. Like, just it's just nice to see these people. Yeah, and Fonny reacting like this is, like, his best friend in the world, mm. and then them conversing in Spanish, and Tish just kind of, like, staring at him mm. and going, like, I've never seen him in this element before. I've only ever seen him interacting with our community, mm. with the people who he's known since childhood, and I've never seen him... Be this charismatic and this open and friendly with everyone else, and
1: and and from what we know about the family and like the fractured nature of it, and like you know seeing him living in like a complete shithole but like you know because of larger social reasons more than anything else. But like this idea that like he or I don't know, like yeah, this and he's spoken about how he's like slept rough before and stuff like that, and like seeing him in a in a world that like he seems to embrace a little bit more like he he seems to have found a home with a with a latin community in a way that may you know not saying that he rejects the black community but just his personal family circumstances are rough and like seeing him actually so engaged and happy and smiling and speaking in spanish and stuff like it's like yeah yeah it is really nice like seeing your partner like in a world that, you know, you maybe hear about, but you don't actually see it all the time. Like, we we, we rarely see our partners working or, like, doing the thing that they're good at kind of thing sometimes. And it, it can be a trip to see that.
0: Yeah, like, like how do they act when they're not talking to you? It's yeah. obviously, like, around you maybe they talk about the things they're passionate for, but maybe not the things that they're good at, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, totally, yeah.
0: But yeah, it's just this really lovely scene and all of these scenes together are really nice. And I do think it kind of also shows that like maybe this is why Fonny survives as long as he has, because obviously like he's had struggle and hardship. Mm -hmm. But when he meets Carti, like later on in the movie, and they mention how like they embrace each other because there's so few of their friends left.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's like because he's managed to escape into this maybe slightly different community that isn't quite as hounded in the same way. He's yeah. actually avoiding the pitfalls that befall so many African-Americans. Yeah,
1: he's kind of got his... protection from a slightly less, like, overtly um, oppressed minority. Yeah.
0: But yeah, like I mean, obviously the movie does cut to this where, like, again, Kiki Lane narrating over anything is gorgeous. And... She's
1: fantastic as a narrator. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying, like, her scenes where she's, like, actually acting opposite a person aren't good. It's just uh, her narration is, is so
0: striking to me. Um, she has she has a different confidence and cadence yeah.
1: in the narration
0: to how she is in person. Like there's a confidence there that she doesn't embody in all of her scenes. Which really does come across the narration. But obviously like the first big piece of narration is her doing like James Baldwin monologue about like all the terrible things that befall hmm. African Americans and just these like striking images of just yeah. all the terrible things and like the different ways in which Black lives are taken away from us, yeah. And they bookend
1: uh, the movie with that as well. Like she mm. talks about it very early, and then it's sort of montaged again right at the end. So it's sort of like you should have seen this outcome coming, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if you were hoping for a triumphant, and then they get him out, and he's they're all just fine. Like it's like no 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 no. That's <laughs> like,
0: not how this, this is what the, the story is. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, and then after this like lovely scene of them looking out over over New York, they we get, get to. Tish coming to prison mm-hmm. to to tell Fonny that she is pregnant with his child.
1: Yeah, and you sort of get three of these scenes in a row of you know she tells Fonny, then she tells her family, and then she tells his family, and like it is really interesting to see the way those are received. Where like, you know Fonny is of course bummed that he is almost certainly going to miss the birth of the child, and we you know we will ultimately learn he's going to miss many years of the child's life. Um, and there's this there's, there's not even like any kind of hope about when he's gonna get out like I mean actually we'll talk about that at the end, but like yeah, like seeing him you know jubilant because he loves us so much um, and you know they're so, they,
0: like so so happy that she's choosing not to do something with the child mm-hmm. like because that is a question that's mentioned like what yeah. are you gonna do and she's like, I'm raising, I'm raising it. It. like that's mm-hmm. and like you know it. It
1: can seem like such a like well, obviously, I'm just going to raise it, but like you know, knowing what economic and social circumstances were like at the time, I say as if everything has been magically fixed in the last thirty four years. You know that isn't an easy choice to make. Like, like they do struggle to find anywhere to live. We see the two of them. Like she does talk about her time trying to find a job and like the hardships of that job that doesn't pay very well. Like, you know it's a big thing to try and raise a child in, like, borderline poverty. Like, and I
0: I love that her family are so supportive. Mm. Um, like, like obviously, it starts off with Tish's father, played by Coleman Domingo, who is someone who I always enjoy when he crops up and stuff.
1: I just want him to hug me and tell me everything's going to be okay, because I would 100% believe him. Like, he is so <laughs> nice. And, like, just saying, you know, calling it foolishness if she thinks... You know, these narratives that, oh, she's a bad girl because she's had sex. Like, like fuck off. Like, we know you love this man, like, with everything in you. Like, you've done nothing but live an authentic life. And, like, you
0: know, not for a sec... You know, he's shocked, obviously. But, like... Yeah, and it, it takes him a few seconds to yeah. kind of, like, come around to what the reaction should be. Um, but then
1: he is just unquestionably warm and, like, you know... The quote, unbow your head, sister, is staggering, and I assume that is direct from the book, but... Yes. Yeah, oh, so
0: good, like that. Yeah, and, I mean, like, Colin Domingo someone, again, like, much like when we talked about last week, like, someone who is stuck on a Walking Dead show, and it's like, I'm never gonna watch more of The Walking Dead, and it's such a shame that you have to spend God knows how many months of your life filming... Yeah. I immediately just started
1: looking through the filmographies of several of these actors, like, right, what am I not going to hate that they're in, because I want to see more of their work, and I'm like, Carmen Domingo, what are you in? Oh, fuck off with your Walking Dead bullshit. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think he's doing well on that, I think he gets to direct the episodes and stuff like that, so obviously, like, he's doing good stuff with it, but when he shows up here, and he's so nice and so warm, and his immediate reaction is, like, can I tell Fonny's dad? Like... (laughs) This is someone who he presumably grew up with and yeah. like them getting to bond over the fact that they're gonna be grandparents together is again so lovely and warm and Yeah, the one nice family.
1: beat amidst that where like these two just get on you know, immediately he's like, Well, we're gonna go get drunk. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. Like the relationship between the dads is great, but like the the tension and the hostility with the women and like that it's like fake civil while the men are still mm. there. And obviously there's this, you know, horrible moment of of Frank hits his wife when she, you know, uh, to be fair, she, t- she tells Tish that she's going to miscarry the baby because it's born of sin. And, like, you know, curses the child and whatnot. And it's like, you know, shut the fuck up, obviously. But, like, <laughs> yeah, he hits
0: her. Uh, it they... is this, like this shocking moment of violence yeah in the yeah no way yeah, of
1: out of nowhere, yeah. And, like obviously shocking but like once the men leave they get so much more venomous and
0: it's like oh okay <laughs> like so I... the thing is like because Tish because Tish turns around and says like that is the meanest thing that I've ever heard anyone say before yeah it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty vile and then when one of the sisters goes to defend her Tish immediately calls her a yellow dried up cunt, and you're like <laughs> Where did this come from? I, I, remember, I remember being in cinemas thinking, like, this is a nice, lovely movie, yeah. like, it's not going to be, like, that much of anything, and then all of a sudden, like, a hard C drops, and you're And like, then oh, Ernestine what? talking
1: about ripping out an Adam's apple, which has got two levels of... And there's also this weird, almost, like, faux-sexualness to it as well. It's like, oh god, what is happening? Um, I love that they stick up for it, though. like, you know, like, everyone's trying to keep the peace at first, but then that Sharon and Ernestine are, like, completely unafraid to be like, you back the fuck up. <laughs> um, and just the pure hostility towards
0: the hunts is is great. Yeah, I think when I watched this in the cinemas, I think this is the scene where I realised this was not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like, there is just, just... The way everything kind of plays out, it just kind of completely shocked me in terms of, like... The language and the way it was going, and I was like, "Oh, this is not—I don't know—like, obviously, like one of my main views on this time period is from Mad Men, which is what Tiona Paris was on as well, uh, where she played like a black secretary for a few seasons on that show. Okay, and she was was very, very good on Mad Men as well. But coming into this, and I don't know—I don't want to say more realistic language, but like, just a more poetic language whilst also discussing these horrible things it was like it's just kind of like shocked my system yeah, a little bit
1: for sure i didn't see it coming at all like i'm not saying that it looked like it was like a wishy-washy romantic purely positive everything's gonna be okay kind of you know for as nice it is, as it is to see the rivers family like being so just immediately accepting and like you know i, I was like half expecting them to like Reason the hunts into being like, okay, yeah, fine. And then just to see this venom, I was like, whoa, <laughs> oh, oh.
0: Yeah, 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 and then like them kicking them out of the house and, <laughs> and, and, like and throwing a coat out after, but also like <laughs> Regina King never rising to the bait.
1: Yeah, she kind of keeps her cool while Ernestine is just going off. And like, <laughs> I love that final line, you know, she's like, no one's gonna like do this to my daughters, and she's like, yeah, because no one will fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> so good (laughs) yeah
0: I think again I don't want to call it the best in the movie but it's definitely the one that came up the cinema I was just like oh the card is yeah I
1: think the flashback of them just falling in love is probably my favourite like three four minute stretch but yeah this is sort of a lot of the footage from the trailer is being pulled from sort of telling the family about it Um, and yeah like it's, it's, it's so entertaining to just see these women just snipe at each other
0: yeah, and again, everyone's really good in this scene. Obviously, Kiki yeah. Lane's a bit more, like, she gets her barbs in, but it's definitely Ernestine who kind of, like, is doing an awful lot of the, like, fronting. Yeah, like, I'm sticking out for my baby sister, kind of thing, yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, as you say, like, it's just an acting showcase, like, Regina King, Tiona Paris, mm. Kiki Lane, Conway Domingo, just everyone just yeah. really, really good. In it does almost feel play-like. yeah I
1: get like uh, we've talked about this I am a sucker for a movie that feels a little bit like a play and like I think I was responding to that stuff as well yeah it it, it seems almost like it's gonna be the kind of movie that only has like three locations kind of thing like their apartment you know the the two apartments and the prison kind of thing and it does expand out beyond that but yeah it does feel a little bit play like in the early going
0: yeah so we get to more flashbacks of Fonny and Tish just trying to find an apartment in New York, and yeah. these, like, the stories that she tells of, like, she, they, they try going in all these different co- combinations and stuff like that, and, mm. and like, actually, this is this is funny telling it to, to, Daniel, to Daniel Cartier, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Where he's kind of like, talking about how, like, if I go on my own, or if we go together, or she goes on her own, the best luck we have is when she goes on her own. But, but then
1: they think that they get they get to fuck her, and then when he shows up as well, they cancel the plans, and, like, you know, they'll rent to a leper before they'll rent to an N-word. Yeah, like, these two just commiserating about the state of, of America for black people, and like, Ron Terry Henry, like, you know, he's in this for, what, five, ten minutes? And he's, you know, he... You kind of think he's going to be more pivotable... Uh, pivotal to the plot than he is because of the fact that he is the alibi, and they're, like, talking about how they're putting pressure on him and, and this kind of thing, and you're sort of expecting him to come back, and he never really does. It's just sort of like he's just here to crush this sort of just painful past conversation, and, like, you know, Tish saying she's hesitant about him, but she can just sort of see from the look on Fonny's face that it's important that, you know, they've reunited briefly after, as you said, so many of their, like the people that they grew up with are like dead or in prison or just not around anymore so like you know just clinging on to that last
0: connection kind of thing and
1: yeah like i don't I, I can't really say much more than just he's good but yeah Brian Tyree Henry is just good
0: yeah he is like again this is a one scene thing all he has to do is sit in a room drink beer and smoke a cigarette yeah. and the way that he flips I think this is the most impressive thing for me about this scene is it's kind of too Little monologues. One is them kind of discussing the housing situation. The other is him yeah. discussing his time in prison for uh, nothing. When he was, yeah, for nothing. <laughs> like he has marijuana in his possession, but he gets strung up on Grand Theft Auto despite the fact not being behind the wheel of a car mm-hmm. and gets two and he years. Doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> yeah, and he's got two years in prison. For that. And so this is yeah. this is li- literally him fresh out of prison. Yeah.
1: And then, of course, they will use that against him to discredit him as an alibi. Like, oh, this is an ex-con, you can't trust his word. Yeah, you know, we don't even really see any of that. It's just also, like, the system is so against them that an alibi, you know, Tish is no good as an alibi because she's his girlfriend and Daniel's no good as an alibi because he's an ex-con. And it's like, well, so he's just fucked then? Like, what the fuck? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah the only person who is person who got raped, who was told to pick the person she was told to pick, uh-huh. and the officer, because obviously he's an officer of the law, so therefore is the most trustworthy person of all of them. And yeah, and the, just... like
1: the the crime is said to have happened on a street that you could, physically could not run to in the time between the crime and when he was arrested in his home on the other side of well, it's not the other side of New York, but it's just, you know they make a point of it is not possible to run this distance and you know, she's fled the city since, and we see a few scenes here and there with the lawyer, Hayward, and, yeah, like, I don't really know what to make of that, because it's sort of like, he starts off seeming, I don't know, he's not I think unsympathetic,
0: I, I, I... but... It... No, I think he's like, this. I am someone who is willing to sympathise with black people, but I like that the movie kind of turns it into his radicalization, where it's like, mm. he continues to go to these things and realises he's getting absolutely nowhere, despite the fact... If this was a white person, he'd probably have a case.
1: Yeah, like, and that he ends up butting up against some very powerful people, and like gets so frustrated and stuff, and yeah. But But. it's so interesting that like the pivotal situation, you know, the reason he's in prison, the impending situation of trying to get him out feels almost irrelevant until the last sort of act um, where Regina King goes to Puerto Rico, and I assume is the point you texted me and said, God, I'm excited to talk about Regina King. (laughs) Um, But it's sort of so matter-of-fact, and I think that is almost the point, is that, like, you know, this is just how it goes for black people in this time period and like you know again i don't want to say it's all been fixed since i'm sure similar yeah. things happen every day but
0: that's the thing is like they are fighting this thing because yeah they feel like they have a shot like the fact that Ernestine has been like tracking down lawyers and has found this one white lawyer yeah. and Fonny's family are just like oh don't want to talk to any white boys we'll find our own lawyers and stuff like that and like they feel like they have more of a case than so many of these other situations, yeah. but again, they just, yeah. yeah, just coming <laughs> up against this, like.
1: Yeah. But risky, you're just sort of like you're almost a, you're almost trained to expect more scenes with the lawyer and more like courtroomy, drama-y stuff, and possibly even see the trial. But like, it's all just like no, 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 that matters. Like, it's it's, it's irrelevant almost.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like again, it. it it very much feels like that. Every single scene that they've got in the lawyer's office is just like... Again, it just proves how little hope that they've got, because mm-hmm. like, even, I think it's in the first scene with the lawyer, where he's just like, we can't find her, she's probably fled the country, mm-hmm. and it costs a lot of money to fly anywhere.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so, that's kind of like, unless they can find the money to get someone out of the country, which obviously they do eventually do through illicit means, but... <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's like it's the 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 odds are stacked up so much against them that, like, presumably, either she's done this on her own or the DA have paid for her to go to Puerto Rico. But oh, I seen like...
1: the police or, or yeah, the DA or whoever, like, yeah, just
0: got yeah. her out of there. Yeah, exactly. And it's just I don't like everything about the black experience in relation to the law enforcement feels. Obviously, we are. 60 years on <laughs> from this movie at this point in mm. terms of like actual real time. And yet it still feels so relevant. Yeah. It's to... the same
1: story. Just <laughs> to being told long, like unfortunately.
0: Yeah. And like, and again, my, my favorite thing about Brian Toby Henry's performance is the emotional flip that he's able to do in yeah. the scene where he's relating his experience and what he's seen in prison and how, terrible and life-changing and traumatic everything he saw in prison is
1: mm.
0: and then tish walks in there's just like dinner's ready and he like wipes a tear from yeah. his eyes and is like <laughs> immediately joking five seconds later and yeah. it's like this is a man who will have demons follow him around for like the rest of his life yeah. and and there's you know
1: like tish is home for a bit and then she's off, you know, she's sorting the, the stuff she brought home and they continue to talk. And then you almost forget she's there, like, because they, they're they just having this heavy conversation. It's like, oh, shit, yeah, she's right there, isn't she? Yeah, he's great. Sort of a shame <laughs> he's not in it more. But, like, you know, you come in, you crush I, it, you he's... leave, it's the Brian Tyree Henry <laughs> experience. Yeah, it, this, is,
0: this is very similar to Moonlight, where I think a lot of people who saw Moonlight late... Don't realize that Mahershala Ali is in the movie for about fifteen twenty minutes. Tops. Yeah, it
1: is very presented as like, oh, he's this ninety minute acting showcase revelation, and it's like, no, 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 he's a small part. Of it, isn't he? Uh,
0: yeah, and that is the thing with, and I, it happens less and less. I feel with supporting actor wins nowadays, where yeah. quite often supporting actor goes to someone who is the co lead because they just want to get him, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, Mahershala Ali in Green Book is so much more of the... He is a co lead in that movie. He is not a supporting performance. He is literally the second-billed person for that movie, mm-hmm. whereas Moonlight is the very definition of the supporting performance, where he isn't the main focus. He isn't a lead actor. He is in one section of the movie and is incredibly good in that one section of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and then he's gone, and... Yeah it's a, it's a shame that like it is nice that Barry Jenkins helped win two academy awards for actors doing these kind of roles where yeah. you can watch this movie and see Regina King doing what she does very early on in this movie and be kind of going like so when when is she going to do
1: when's she going to get the oscar <laughs> moment yeah <laughs> uh
0: which is like obviously as we build up to it like we find out that they have to track down Victoria to Puerto Rico yeah so they start to do some vaguely illicit things to get some more money. Obviously, Tish is working at the perfume counter in, like, I, a big... That the
1: scene is, is really good, it? When she's talking about, like, the difference in the kind okay. of customers that, you know, the white men grab her hand and sniff it and, like, hold her hand, you know, like, treat her like a piece of meat and, and the black men, are, like, spray my hand, kind of thing. Mm. And it's just, like, like, like don't, these they little...
0: Don't view, they don't view her as property. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah. she is her own person.
1: Yeah, and it's just little things like that that, like, people don't... It's like, well, he's not hitting you. Like, what do you want? What do you want? Like, you know, dignity. Thank you. It isn't... Like, her colleague seems to, like... She talks about how it's, like, you know, oh, it's progressive to have a a black girl on the counter kind of thing. And, like, she has to just sit there smiling all day while she's either ignored or treated poorly. Um, And her colleague seems to sort of, like, judge her when she arrives late. And then when she's in the throes of pregnancy and being forced to still work, she shows genuine concern, but it's sort of, like, not really... They don't make a thing of it because I think they don't want to draw focus away from like what a shitty experience this is. Ninety nine percent of the time, the other person showing kindness, being Dave Franco, uh, when they do tour that perspective, <laughs> you know, it's a warehouse that they're going to or a factory that they're going to turn into an apartment or a set of apartment. And yeah, he just again, it's just here to just be a nice man who goes away again. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, again, a really lovely scene and. <laughs> Is Dave Franco Jewish?
1: I think the Francos are, but I'm not 100% sure. It's just, it's
0: because just th- obviously Dave Franco shows up in this movie, he's wearing a kippah. The Franco's mother in, in, in is Disney.
1: Jewish of Russian Jewish descent. There you
0: go. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, so Dave Franco shows up, he's wearing a kipper and he shows them around this apartment, and then you get this incredibly lovely scene of <laughs> <laughs> of Tish ordering them around like to pick up, like... The fridge well, it's
1: more the funny stump. trying to talk her into like she's bummed about the whole thing. Like this is nothing. Like where, where would anything? And he's just like, no, no, no. Like this is where this will go. And like, oh, would you help us bring the fridge? And then she gets into it. And she's like, go get my cooker. Like, um, and uh, they. And I, I
0: just imagine a landlord doing that nowadays. I
1: know, and you're sort of like, he's not going to go for this, and he does sort of reluctantly, and like you know, he keeps playing along. And he's like, oh, how come it's straining me more than you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good stuff and like you know when he's like when they ask him like, alright what's the fucking what's the catch like why are you being nice essentially <laughs> and I, I I do like the line of like I'm just my mother's son and like th- that's what it comes down to most of the time it's it's and- not It can be just sort of like, do you just take after your parents? Like, were you raised right, despite a horrible otherwise environment?
0: But I like like the subtext, obviously, like, they very obviously make him Jewish, and Mm -hmm. obviously 1970s New York, you kind of have to think that, like, potentially, if he's the age that he is, is his mother someone who has come over... Well, yes,
1: I sympathise with people who have been persecuted, I think is the subtext. Um, yeah,
0: and I, and again, obviously the movie doesn't make a huge show to state it, but it's like, there are oppressed minorities everywhere, and yeah. it's important that we show everyone who is oppressed some level of decency. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, like, and yeah. Yeah. I, I like that it's sort of flipped of, like, are you a hippie kind of thing? Because, again, that's a big thing that's going on. You know, it's it's st- 60s is, is thought of as the hippie era but it does persist into the 70s obviously but like yeah that yeah it's it's just a nice little scene that that gives it some some levity in amongst uh because it is
0: you know it, i feel as it goes it gets a little bit uglier kind of thing yeah because um, like this is this is when you have tish and fonny's father kind of coming together and going like we've got we know some hustles we can start <laughs> to steal from our prospective jobs so they start to steal from the docks and from the garment factory and Mm. selling those things in Harlem to earn the money to send Sharon to Puerto Rico so she can find Victoria and basically talk her into recanting her statement. Yeah. I I like how, like, it feels outlandish in some ways, but the way the movie kind of treats it, it doesn't doesn't break the movie. Like, the whole idea of, like, we're going to go to another country and find someone feels Mm. so much more heightened than you could potentially see, but the movie nails making the the heisty elements of them stealing from their jobs and then also tracking down someone in a foreign country feel yeah. more matter of fact yeah which i find very
1: impressive yeah it's not like a, right cue the music time for the <laughs> heist or time for the big sting operation in puerto rico it's just sort of yeah they're just another element and like yeah like when she not a lot of mainstream media shows you something as simple as the act of a black woman putting on a wig and that they show you it, and then her taking it back off is made more powerful, and then she ultimately is wearing it when she goes and meets uh, the Mandalorian himself. Um, yeah, she she does Regina King things, man. She's just she's just always good, and like that she is able to shame him into being
0: helpful when he's sort of playing dumb at first. Like it's yeah yeah. It's just it's just a good showcase for Regina King. Like she gets this wordless sequence where she puts the wig on and takes it off, which again is just showcasing what a good physical actress she is and then she gets she gets to play so many different facets and elements across this where she comes in with confidence when she talks to to pedro pascal and gets him to to relent and give her the address of where victoria's staying and then this conversation with victoria which Mm. feels like them both trying to fight for the upper hand and like what uh, what i adore about this movie is that at no point does the movie come out and go she's lying she wasn't raped this she was put up to this yeah because
1: like tish talks about it with ernestine like you know like do you think and they basically agree oh i think she was raped but i don't think she could identify the person who did it if they walked right past her And, and like basically this is a frame up and like you know she 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 does say like they told me to say it was him kind of thing but then she's also very much like i can tell you've never been raped kind of thing yeah it is this unfortunate kind of power play where she's like i was a woman before you was a woman kind of thing like yeah and just sort of she she's, she, she she's nailed trying. it with 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 pedro but like there, there is just this they just get off on the wrong foot immediately and it just it seems to color the whole conversation and
0: yeah and then it eventually culminates in her doing this like last ditch effort of like you're a woman of faith.
1: Yeah. And then
0: she like, freaks you're... the fuck out. Yeah, because um, she immediately touches her breast, like, where she's yeah. got her cross. Yeah. And Victoria's just, like, obviously PTSD trawler from, like, this very real thing that happened to her. Yeah. And... And I like, like that they, I... they
1: don't try and make her out to be, like, some opportunistic, horrible woman. Like, they they tell you her circumstances earlier on that she was brought to the country by some rich white dude who put three children in her and then abandoned her kind of thing. And, like, you know, she, it's not... She is as much a victim of these systems as as the black characters are. You know, it's not quite the same. But, you know, she has been fucked over as well. She has been pressured by the police. She has potentially been, like, bullied into silence kind of thing. But it just is so unfortunate that it kind of comes down to this, like... It's not that, like, if Sharon had succeeded everything would have been okay so i don't want to like say that like oh it's sharon's fault because she she took the wrong tact trying to confront her and like she's fucked it for funny it's like it feels like funny was fucked no matter what you did kind of thing but yeah it, it's it's a powerful scene and like seeing her like afterwards like just so distraught about it
0: like like yeah. like she realizes that this is it like there's no yeah. way they can get her to recant her statement now
1: yeah, and then and, she does end up fleeing from there
0: as well. So yeah. yeah, which which is ultimately, I I don't know if it's the worst thing that could have happened because obviously, yeah, in that situation there is no case, which means that Fonny can't be put away for God knows how long. Yeah, yeah, they Actually. can't
1: definitively, but you know they've got enough to
0: put him in for. like Well, that's the last thing is basically the movie Ben kind of shows you what happens is. They lose his case essentially, like because or there's he's no Forced to just
1: take a plea bargain. Yeah,
0: yeah. They just keep on delaying it and delaying it because there's nothing that's going to happen. And so you basically just get to a point where it's like, look, we don't know when your hate case is going to get heard. If you sign this plea bargain, you'll be out in. I mean, like, it like seems like he's in prison for five years for mm. something he didn't do and something that they literally can't pin him to, but will not hear a case.
1: Yeah, and like so, we we did see uh, in amongst this. What what happened to sort of draw the ire of Officer Bell in that, like, you know, they were just celebrating this prospective apartment and then, you know, a dude fucking harasses Tish and then Fonny is like, get the fuck off her, and then overcomes a policeman who is, you know, very much using that very charged word of boy and, you know, just pisses him off, like, like, holds a grudge about it that, that he stands up to him and, like, you know, the thankfully it doesn't yeah. get worse there yeah, and he then.
0: He, does, he doesn't like that he has a defence from Tish, and then the store owner comes out as well. And, yeah. it's, like,
1: and it's just, you know, it's just a, a sad little man who just wants to get the upper hand and, you know, sees this opportunity to pin it on him. And, yeah, just seeing the system so sort of rigged like that, and like, you know, we do learn that it, the trial has kept getting pushed back, and like, she keeps visiting him in prison, and like, seeing... The one-two punch of like the physical damage to his face in, in when he's got like the bloodshot eye and everything, and then also just the raw emotionality in Stephen James's face in that scene—it's just so upsetting to look at as as a combination. Like that, he is hurting emotionally and physically, um, and it's really pronounced when he like hangs the phone up and like turns his eye, and you see just how red it is. Yeah, I mean, I again, I'm like. You know, she she gives birth, she, it's funny junior, like, it's almost a, just... Because, like, we see some scenes with her going through the pregnancy and stuff like that, it's not really made a huge deal of, but, like, the big final scene, we don't know for sure, but it does at least seem like his prison circumstances are slightly better than the ones we have seen up to now.
0: It, it's probably just because he's actually had a sentence now, whatever, they've moved him into somewhere that's maybe less yeah. volatile, yeah, I, I I don't know. No, no prison experience is nice. No, no, exactly. That's mountains. that's kind
1: of what I'm trying to say. Is like I don't want to just say, oh, he's in the nice prison now. But it it does strike as in contrast to the ones we've seen. It does seem a little bit more like relax. You know, like the visitation isn't on the other side of a glass with with booths, and it's like you can actually sit and spend time with your family, and like you know, they get their snacks and
0: everything. Like you know, that at least yeah, seems and, like, he nicer. Gets to- actually gets to see his son face-to-face and not through yeah. this glass and whatnot. Yeah. And
1: I, I don't know how old the kid is supposed to be in that final scene, you know. I, I struggle with children, you know. It's like, they're a baby, then they're a toddler, and then anything between, like, three and, like, nine, they feel they could be any age. <laughs> um, you know, he's walking and talking and, and, and colouring in and stuff. Um, so this scene where, like, he he writes something down, and we don't see it. And she's like, ever since I told him, he's been writing it everywhere. And it's like, you know, presumably he's writing the date that he's coming out of prison or something. But, like, they both seem really bummed about it after they talk about it. So, like, I didn't quite know how to read this scene. I don't know if I'm just being dumb and I missed something. But, I don't know, maybe it's I, just I, sort of them reflecting on, like, how long it's been or, like... Dubious that he will get out when they say he'll get out or something like that. I don't know.
0: But... Yeah, I think I think I think it is like this whole thing where like maybe it's just this idea of just how long he's been behind. Mm. But yeah, it I don't like it's it's weird because obviously it's both a very nice warm scene, but there is this tinge of darkness, and it's yeah. what I appreciate so much about this movie is that like even in the darkest of moments, there is still yeah. these like little glimmers of hope. Like the movie obviously finishes with a close up of like young Fonny's face as yeah. it like fades out, and and. I, hell, even down to the idea that, like, even when this movie kind of has people being inflicted violence upon, it never stoops the level of, like, showing you that violence. Like, yeah, that's, see... that's
1: kind of what I was trying to say earlier, that, Like the, the, that you're trained in all of these kind of movies to expect the big, ugly, we-had-to-make-it-visceral-man scene where you just see this, like, violence or sexual violence or anything like that. And it never really comes. Like they, they keep a layer of warmth to it throughout. Even when it's bleak. Um and I think like you said to me yesterday, like, you know, it's Barry Jenkins, so it's it's always romantic even when it's not. Yeah, like yeah, like like we said, like it's not the most complex narrative in the world. Um and it just it, it just kinda drifts about a bit, but it is so emotionally engaging and yeah, just like six acting powerhouses and stuff like that like yeah it's good yeah yeah (laughs) like again a movie
0: i utterly utterly adore like i didn't actually do my top 10 of 2018 list which i can now roll out for us all as we end our trip to
1: 2018 yeah five stops on 2018 i think we did but yeah so number
0: 10 i've got burning which is a wonderful wonderful movie uh it's like three hours long though and definitely a very slow burn but yeah just a, a fucking great south korean movie shoplifters at number nine black clansman number eight Mm. black panther at number seven favorite at number six like see i think this is a good oscar year i've got three nominees in my top 10 so far
1: yeah
0: number five mission possible fallout which we've already covered on this podcast (laughs) number four roma number three spider-man into the spider-verse number Mm. two widows and number one if bill street could talk um I think that's my main annoyance with the Oscars this year, is that, like, as much as I love an awful lot of the nominees, the fact that Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book are in there over stuff like Widows and Bill Stricker Talk, I'm like...
1: It does feel like there are those few voters in the room who will stubbornly cling to that kind of movie, and they can't be talked out of it, so it's like, alright, well, you can have two or three of these, but we're having the rest, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I do think the Oscars get, like, the swap to ten is a good thing. Yeah and you get a lot more good movies like i actually think next year's slate is also really fucking good again there are some movies on there that i'm like "Eh, i don't love it but like we will be discussing multiple movies from 2019 that are up for best picture and uh i think they're all all very very good but yeah so that is the end of our time in 2018 have you have you enjoyed it matthew yeah
1: i i we've had a mixed bag. obviously we haven't Talked about all of the you know the biggest movies there, but you know we we got a, a nice blend of, of styles and genres and stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would call it like you know the best year we've covered or anything like that off the top of my
0: head, but like. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I think like for me, seventeen and nineteen are stronger years hmm. on either side. But
1: yeah. Well, we will venture into twenty nineteen next week with Book so. Smart.
0: Book Smart. Yeah. A movie which I've already watched this year, and I'm still excited to watch it again. <laughs> like, what a joyous movie, and of course this is a sequel to Super Bad from our first miniseries. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so are you going to bring out a dissertation that you've written in the last year <laughs> on Booksmart? I've
1: done no terrible writing about Booksmart. I do like to think that uh, if I tried, it wouldn't be as shittily written as uh, as the other one was, but... No, I have nothing to bring to the class next week.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a shame. I don't. Even, I can try. I can... Do you want me
1: to just try and write like 500 words on Booksmart in in essay style in the next week? I'll dig out all my uh, film theory
0: and stuff like that. I mean, only if you've got the time to actually invest that much more into this I, podcast. I do, but I don't want to. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and so we begin that. But before we move into 2019, Matthew. Mm. Will there be movies?
1: Uh, there will, but they will be told incredibly non-linearly. And, but they will be full of great actors. There's no jokes in Beale Street. I'm sorry, there aren't. I mean, I mean, there is.
0: It's just in that one scene where they like start cussing out the other <laughs> I women.
1: can't say some of the words they said in that scene. So, um, yeah. Just bye, everyone. So <laughs> bye. Still I didn't know And I did it for so long I got nothing to show All